Okay, if you want to go ahead and be turning, um, the first text that we're going to look at tonight is going to be in Colossians chapter 2. So if you want to go ahead and be turning there while I kind of set the stage for, for what we're going to be looking at tonight. So if you're new with us on Wednesdays, we've been now several weeks, um, probably several months at this point, uh, digging into uh, a study on heaven. Um, we've spent a good deal of time uh, in, the, in the past several weeks looking at the intermediate heaven, and then we've spent a couple of sessions transitioning into this long view of heaven um, where we're looking forward to our eternal home, ultimately looking beyond the resurrection to the hope that we have in Christ and what that might look like. Um, we've had a couple of sessions where we looked at the resurrection. Last time we were together in, in the text, we were looking at um, this idea found in Romans chapter 8, this, the, that God has subjected His own creation to futility, and we were looking forward to what futility's end might look like, what it might look like when God releases that uh, that hold, uh, the, ultimately what we see is kind of the thorns and thistles um, that, that we see in the early chapters of Genesis. Um, and tonight, we're going to be looking, kind of continuing that idea. Um, tonight's sermon, the, the, this session's title that I've given it, um, is Far As the Curse is Found. Now, some of you might know where that comes from, and for those of you who don't, um, you will you will shortly. Um, but that phrase, far as the curse is found, is not something that I myself have um, invented. I think it's a really good, um, really good phrase that kind of encapsulates um, what we're going to be looking at tonight. Um, and kind of a subtitle, as far as like working in my mind, as I was thinking about what I wanted us to get out of tonight's session, is I want us to reflect on miracles, and I want us to look at how the miracles of Christ are a preview of the hope that is to come, ultimately, the hope that we have after the resurrection. So tonight, two questions are kind of in view. Uh, we'll see how well we do at, at kind of um, answering, answering each of these questions. I, I don't know that I would say that tonight's session is going to answer them fully and completely. I hope that it's kind of a, a conversation started in that direction. But here's two questions from our list of questions that we've been going through that kind of are touched on in some, in some way by uh, what we're going to be looking at tonight. So the two questions that we're going to be kind of, I want you to have kind of in the back of your mind as we look through this is, how does the redemption story apply to all of God's creation? That's question number one. And what is the curse the Bible speaks of, and what would it mean if it were lifted? This is the second question that we're kind of going to be uh, examining tonight. And the way that we're going to do this is um, I've gone through the miracles of Jesus um, and tried to tried to categorize them into. Um, different categories. I've kind of had a hard time here. There's some that are easy and obvious, and then there's others that's like, well, it could fit here or it could fit there. We're not going to go over all of Jesus's miracles. Um, 
that would take us again like six different sessions and hours probably for each session so we're not going to do that so i've tried to select one verse out of each of the categories that we're going to look into as kind of um, representative of that class of category of of miracles so um, just to kind of put out there where we're going to be looking in regards to miracles uh, tonight, um, I'm going to give you the six categories. The first is um, a miracle in and of itself. I would I would go so far as to say this is the preeminent miracle. It is the miracle that, as I consider it, is so mind-boggling that like there's a there's a couple of really crazy miracles when we think about. Um, God's creation and all that he's done to recon- reconcile us to himself. One of those miracles is creation itself, the idea that there was nothing save God, and then from his desire alone, he creates all that we know. Um, the idea there of creation ex nihilo, or creation out of nothing, is a is a miracle that's mind-boggling in and of itself, but the, this first miracle that we're going to look at tonight, I would say, as I consider it, um, it seems more implausible or impossible even than creation from nothing, and that is the incarnation itself. Um, the idea that the infinite Creator God would be able to step down into His creation Um, seems like an impossibility, right? It seems like, how do you fit the infinite in the finite, right? That is something to me that is, like, it's mind-boggling to consider, but the first verse that we're going to look at tonight speaks towards that. Um, So incarnation, kind of a standalone category of miracle in and of itself. Uh, I I would consider it the preeminent miracle in in our conversation here. Then we're going to look at miracles in the class of healing. We're going to look at miracles where we see Christ's power over nature. So incarnation, healing, power over nature. We're going to look at miracles of exorcisms, that is calling demonic beings out of possessed victims Um, We're going to look at Christ's provisional power, like an example of this, feeding of the 5,000, his ability to provide. Uh, And then we're going to look at resurrections. Um, And since we've looked at Christ's resurrection in like recent history in this study itself, we're not going to look at that one directly this time. Um, We're going to look at um, him raising from the dead or his power over death itself. Um, from from the perspective of uh, someone else there. So um, as we consider miracles and as we're considering this idea of as far as the curse is found in regards to, and, and I want us to keep our minds fixed in this idea that what we're talking about from, from this point forward in our study on heaven is we're looking beyond the resurrection and we're trying to say, is there anything that we can see in Scripture that gives us a glimpse of what we hope for there. And we've said this a, a number of times before, that Christ is the, uh, especially because we get these this glimpse of the resurrected Christ afterwards that we can look at and glean information from this, that He is um, the central focus of 
um, everything that we're going to be basing our uh, understanding and ideas uh, on in this section of the text. And this is why here we're focusing on Christ's power in the performing of miracles. Um, and so here's here's something that I would say kind of thinking I, I would like to ask you to think about this as we as we kind of dig through this these several different passages tonight. Um, I want us to think about Christ's miracles. They not only demonstrate his authority, right? Like he has authority over his creation, but they also demonstrate how Christ operates in relation to his creation and the curses effect on creation. I'm going to read that uh, to you one more time. Um, I've tried to be as concise as possible in in kind of encompassing this idea for us. So I think Christ's miracles not only demonstrate his authority, but they also demonstrate how Christ operates, specifically how Christ operates in relation to his creation and the curse's effect on creation. Christ shows himself perfectly capable of restoring his creation and redeeming it from the fall. Um, so the title of tonight's sermon, For As the Curse is Found, I, I pull this from um, a, a beautiful Christmas hymn. Um, I'm not going to sing it to you tonight. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> At best, you're going to get a dramatic reading. <laughs> Uh, so this this phrase, far as the curse is found, comes from the Christmas hymn, Joy to the World. Um, and I think that as I've been preparing and thinking about this, this pass or this hymn, I've fallen more and more in love with it, more and more in love with how like in tune it is with our hope. And at the same time, it causes me to reflect on the reality that we can sing this song. And this is not a new song. If you are in church for any length of time or if you've ever dropped in on a Christmas Sunday, um, you've probably heard this song. It's a, fam- it's a familiar one. But as I, as I read through it, I wonder how often we have sung this song and the reality of what it's saying to us just kind of pass right on by. So, um, again, I'm not going to sing this. But I'm going to read. I'm, I'm also going to leave out some of the repetitive parts of it um, because I want, I want us to, to kind of dial into an idea that's Put forward here because I think that this is an idea uh, very well supported in Scripture, and the fact that I think that we can sing this song and it slip right past us points to another reality that I've been trying to kind of bring out in this study: the fact that we can see things about heaven in Scripture, but it has, for whatever reason, these things have slipped on past us. As, as, as much as we've probably even touched on the passages of text, for whatever reason, we've not seen these things. So we've come to have a hope that looks more like um, flying away from this world than God restoring and renewing um, His creation. 
Um, so, joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room in heaven and nature sing. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. How many times I myself have sung this hymn, have said these words and the foundational idea of what's being said here kind of passed me by in my own understanding. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. What does that mean, far as the curse is found? What does that mean? I want you to think about that. Don't feel like you have to answer back to me and it, it, on this, but I want you to think about that idea of, of his blessings flowing far as the curse is is found and and what's what's meant by that what do we conclude from that and do we believe the idea embedded in that do you believe that it that there is any place that the curse has touched that is outside of God's redemptive work his redemptive plan is there anything touched by the curse that God is not going to redeem, restore, right? Has the curse found itself going further than God's power to redeem could reach? It's another way that we could think about that question, right? Or is it the case that what's spoken in this hymn is actually true, that His blessings will flow as far as the curse is found? That there will not be one place that the curse has touched that He has not, through His work in redemption, reached into His creation and redeemed. Right. So we're going to look at that and we're going to think about that tonight. Um, and we're going to do that by way of examining Christ's miracles uh, in His ministry. And instead of... Going through each and every one of them, we're going to kind of look at them in categories or classes and um, and look at a verse from that and then try to extract some truth from that verse that um, broadly can be applied to any of the verses that would fall in that class. That's the attempt that I'm going to try to make tonight. So the incarnation itself. Before we're going to go to Luke chapter two, so be ready there. Um, but before we do, kind of the idea that I want us to see here in this miracle, I think the 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 weight of it, the depth of it, the reality of it, um, of what happens 
in the incarnation we see in this snippet of text from Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, where it says, For in Him, that's in Christ, so for in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Do we believe that? Do we believe that the whole fullness of deity dwells in Christ? That the infinite God made His way into His creation. That is what we're talking about when we talk about the incarnation. That's what we talk about when we look at Luke chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 10 through 12 here. So if you want to turn with me to Luke chapter 2, verse 10. I'll give you a second. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be your sign, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. The incarnation, that is the miracle of God taking on flesh, is in every way, by every measure, the preeminent miracle pointing us to God's work of redeeming His creation. The fact that God's plan was to enter into His creation before He ever spoke it into existence is evidence pointing us towards His redeeming efforts for all creation. Let me say that one more time for you. The fact that God's plan was to enter into His creation before He ever spoke it into existence is evidence for us that points us towards His redeeming efforts for all of creation. That He would go to such trouble to enter into His creation if He simply planned to scrap the whole effort in the end is foolish to consider when we stop and think about it even for a moment. Consider that. Consider that. When you think about where you find yourself, when you think about what you see in the world that that you find yourself living in, that God Himself went to the trouble to step into it. That in and of itself should shape the way that we think about the way that He's working in regards to His redeeming work over His creation, right? When we consider that Christ was raised and we look at Him after the resurrection and we see His friends seeing Him, spending time with Him, hearing Him with their physical ears, like we've talked about this in, in the past, right? All of this pointing us to the real physical reality of the hope that we have after the resurrection. That you and I also will find ourselves in new glorified bodies like His that He is in now. Why would He go to all of this work to step into if He was simply meaning to throw everything that was the first try away? I don't think that he is. And this is the case that I've been trying to, to make to you um, along the way. 
so we're going to look at now taking this this first miracle kind of as a foundational like place to like plant and anchor our thoughts um, when we think about this, the fact that he chose to step into his creation, right, to begin that work of redemption himself, not from the outside, but by stepping inside of his creation. And we see, I want, I want you to be thinking about this, like Christ, when he did miracles, had the power in that moment to make those miracles full and complete. Right? Like, if He heals, can He heal with you here? Can He heal with you at a distance? Does He need your permission to heal? Does He need you to ask Him first? Can He heal? When He steps out on the deck of the ship and the waves are blasting everywhere and He says, cease and be still, like, is creation like pump the brakes? I don't know who you are. Or do the waves fall like glass? Right? Does he have power? Could he stop all storms? This is a question. So when we're faced with this, we're faced with these realities when we think about it, that he could heal. Why not heal all? He could stop the storm. Why not stop all? Right? He could feed every he could feed thousands with few. Why not all? One day, these things that we see as these like glimpses towards the hope will find fulfilled ultimate and fully. Right? Like, so that's what I want us to, to consider when we see them. That the time was not now for that. But that does not mean that the time is never. Right? That does not mean that it's not coming. His m- miracles give us a glimpse into who He is, who it is that we're placing our trust in, but also they give us a glimpse into the future when he takes these things that were pointing times and moments to demonstrate who he was and the authority that he has, and that he comes back and completes that work fully. So that's why we're going to be looking at these, the, these different classes of miracles um, and some, some passages within them to help us kind of get an idea from them. So John chapter 9, if you'll turn with me there, I'm going to be looking uh, in verse 1. So I'll give you a second there. And I'm going to have to move through these quickly. And that makes me sad. <laughs> there's lots to see in each of these, but I want us to cover all of the classes so that we can see that there's nothing outside of his reach or authority. And that helps us to point our thoughts and minds towards the resurrection and what heaven will look like. Um, and, and, and it also helps us to kind of think about what it, what, what it won't look like as well. So John chapter 9, verse 1. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not this man, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. There were lots of passages of text that I could go and draw from when I was looking at the big Category of Christ's miracles 
in healing. Um, I selected this one first and foremost for what we see in it in regards to the things that we find broken. And in this case, the thing that we find broken is a man. And when the world looked at that situation, when his followers looked at that situation, they think as we oftentimes think, who sinned? This man or his parents? Like, Lord, why was he born this way? Why does this affliction find him? And Jesus answered, verse 3, Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Um, I've covered this verse in the past. We're not going to spend a ton of time on it uh, tonight other than to see what he does in verse 6 and 7. But the thing that I want us to look at when it comes to to this brokenness that we see around us is that it is not purposeless, right? It is not purposeless, but... God has, whether we can see it, whether we can understand it, whether we can get to the bottom of it, we can trust that God has purpose, plan, and reason for the things that we see, even things that look broken, as in the case of this man. It was not his sin. It was not his parents' sin. It was so that God could be made clearer to us in the work that would be done on this day. Right? Verse 6. Having said these things, he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which meant sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. This is one of a number of verses in the Gospels where we see Jesus heal those who are sick and afflicted. These miracles, this class of miracles where Jesus heals various diseases and disabilities reflect a future reality where sickness and physical suffering are no more, emphasizing the complete restoration of health in the new creation. And i Pick this verse because when I say this, when I say that this reflects a future reality where sickness and physical suffering are no more, our immediate response to that is, well, why not now? Right? Why not now? That's our response, is it not? Like when you think about the suffering or trials that you face now or that you'll face in the coming weeks, like your immediate response to those is, why not do that thing you're going to do in the future now? Right? Why would you not heal me now, right? I don't have all of the answers. And I'm sure no one would have been able to point to this man who Jesus walked by on this day and would have been able to say the day before, the reason you are like this is because tomorrow he's going to show you, right? I'm not Jesus. Your friends are not Jesus. To ultimately tell you the wise is outside of my, like, that's above my pay grade, right? 
But what I know, because the man who stepped into that man's life that day gave his life and rose again, and he said that it wasn't that man's sin or his parents' sin, but that God's work might be displayed in him. Let us not think that God is not powerful enough to make Himself known in our sufferings. But as we glimpse at Him healing in the New Testament, this points us, points our eyes towards an ultimate reality where health is what we come to expect. Because that's the bodies that He's given us there, right? This points us to a reality of what we can hope for in the new creation. Um, another class of miracles that we're going to look at now, if you'll turn with me to Luke chapter 8, is His power over nature. So Luke chapter 8, verse 22 is where I'm going to begin reading here. It says, One day He got into a boat with His disciples and He said to them, Let's go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. And as they sailed, He fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves and they ceased. And there was a calm. And he said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this that He commands even the winds and the water that they obey Him. And as I reflect on this text, and I consider the things that we go through in our lives again like we looked at with the healing, and we consider that they stepped onto that boat that day not knowing that they were going to find themselves in this wind storm, but they see more clearly afterwards who He is than they did before. They marveled in a way because of the storm that they would not have been able to marvel had they have avoided the storm altogether. I would put forward to you the same will be true for the storms that you face in your life. Believer, you will marvel over Him because you were in the storm. Right? Because you were in the storm. And you knew the one that was with you in the storm. And now here in this particular case, and he is good to us because if we if we reflect truthfully on this, what we will realize is that many of storms we've been through already in our lives. That he has weathered with us or calmed for us. Um, that does not mean that the next storm won't be the one that wrecks us. Okay, I want, I want to put that out there. That does not mean that the next storm won't be the one that wrecks us. Um, because we also find in Scripture where Paul found himself uh, in multiple shipwrecks along the way. And in, uh, in one of those, a night and day at sea. So um, every, every storm does not get calmed. But the fact that we can see in this case that he has the power to calm the storm. That he has power over nature. These miracles that demonstrate Jesus' command over nature suggest a future world where the natural order exists in perfect harmony under God's sovereign rule, free from chaos and disorder of the world that we see around us today. 
This class of miracles provide a hope and point us to, as we looked at the last time we were together, futilities end. Now, the fourth class of miracles that we see are exorcisms. Um, these are There are a number of these um, in the New Testament. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 8. We've got this. We've got one more um, one more class of, well, actually two more classes of miracles. I've got a lot of readings. So you'll bear with me here. Luke chapter 8. We're going to be looking at the fourth class of, of miracles here. This is the class of exorcisms. Luke chapter 8, verse 26. I'm going to read through verse 23. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is the opposite of Galilee. And Je- when Jesus had stepped out on the land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time, He had worn no clothes and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man for many a time. It had seized him. Uh, He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Verse 30. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him. I want, I want us to see the way that, that Legion, this Legion of demons that had possessed this man, respond to him. They fall down before him. Like, what are you here to do with us? Right? Like, don't torment us. Like, they recognize him in a way that they understand his authority. He calls to them, asking for their name. They don't withhold here. They begged him not to send them to depart into the abyss. Verse 32, Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Who has authority? Over the spirits. This and many others. We see accounts within the New Testament. Where Jesus has authority over the spirits. This points our eyes to his ultimate victory over all evil forces. Hinting at a new creation where evil, sin and their consequences are completely eradicated. I'm going to leave it to you to go and look at all of the other places, all of the other passages that you that you could look into for each of these different texts. But but I'm I'm hoping to kind of summarize here at the end of each kind of the idea that you can draw forward from this when you think about heaven and how this paints a picture of. Uh, of heaven in each of this. We see Him doing this within His creation. We see His power and authority over creation itself. Um, We see this as well in His ability to provide in miraculous ways as well. Luke chapter 9, we're going to look and see this truth. So this uh, this fifth category of miracles that we're going to see is His ability to provide this provisional power that He has. Luke chapter 9. Looking in verse 13 down through verse 17. But he said to them, but he said, yeah, but he said to them, you give them something to eat. They said, we've no more than five loaves and two fish unless we're to go and to buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so. 
and had them sit, all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and set before to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. So does he have power over his creation to provide for his people? Yes. Most certainly, miracles that involved providing food and resources like the feeding of the 5,000, um, the miraculous catch of fish that's seen in another place, point to God's abundant provision and care. This foreshadows for us God's bountiful blessings and generosity in His new creation. I hope that you see as we go through each of these that His miracles, the miracles that He performed, each and every one of them give us a glimpse forward to the finished work, right? We see him doing these works, these miraculous works that ultimately point us to a hope that we have when he completes this work, right? And then we see this in the resurrections and ultimately these resurrections are going to point us towards um, our resurrection because we know the one who has power over life and death. John chapter 11. So we've spent a good bit of time uh, in the past looking um, at Jesus' resurrection. Um, Jesus um, is raised from the dead. This is why we are all here tonight. Um, and we're not unfamiliar with this story either. Um, but this just kind of rounds out the ways that he demonstrates his power and authority through his miracle working um, during his during his ministry here, um, in the lead up to his um, giving himself for us on the cross. So John chapter eleven, um, starting in verse thirty eight. Then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, "Take away the stone." Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, "Lord, by this time there will be an, an odor, for he has been dead." Four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died did what? What did he do? Came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with the cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. This raising of the dead um, of Lazarus here prefigures for us um, Christ's own resurrection, which in and of itself, Scripture tells us, is the first fruits of of the resurrection that we also uh, will partake in as followers of Christ. These acts highlight Jesus's power over death and offer a glimpse of the eternal life promised to us in the new creation. So bringing it home, we've looked at six categories of miracles tonight. The incarnation itself, kind of the preeminent miracle, the 
the uh, infinite God stepping into his creation. And then we see these other categories of what he's done while he was there working in his creation. Healing, showing his power over nature, showing his power over spirits, showing his ability to provide, showing his ability to bring back life from the dead. Each and every one of these, each and every one of these show us, show us, one, how far the curse has made itself known, as well as how far his blessings will flow. So just, I'm going to finish, I'm going to finish just by reading again um, that hymn that we started the night off with. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room in heaven and nature sing. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. We'll end there. Um, I'm going to close us in prayer.